Well, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this evening. And we're going to be from verse 1 down through verse 25 over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, we're going to begin in verse 6 right now and read down through verse number 10. And the Bible says there, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the books it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Hebrews 10 verse 8. Above what he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings uh, and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Verse 10, I believe to be the key verse here. Look here. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We've been looking through the book, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and we've been looking how that Jesus is better than every tenet of Judaism. And tonight, we'll focus in on Hebrews 10 and look at how that Jesus is better than the sacrifices. He's better than the sacrifices. Let's pray. Lord, we ask tonight that you'd be with us, that you'd help us to understand the scripture, and then Lord, where applications are needed, as Miss Rose mentioned earlier, Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would... Uh, just, uh, Lord, make those applications for us. Show us where we can grow. And, Lord, Spirit, we ask that you would um, also teach us. Take what's said and what's explained, and, Lord, uh, confirm it, endorse it within our hearts. Help us have a deeper understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, you open the book of Leviticus. We won't do this right now, but if you were to open up the book of Leviticus, you find that uh, the Levites who led the congregation um, in worship. That's what the, the, the Levitical priesthood or the Levitical priests were. They were leaders of worship. And I'll just add here quickly that folks in today's age want to boil down music or worship to music. And I just want to say quickly that worship is far more than music. It is far more than music. In fact, I think churches do themselves harm by calling the music leader the worship leader because worship goes far beyond uh, music. In fact, uh, worship, as I have stated from this pulpit uh, or from this uh, uh, in this church many times, worship is a realization that God is everything and I am nothing. And you can do that in your giving. Financially, you can give that, do that in your giving of your time. Why is it that uh, someone who works a bus route or teaches a life group or um, whatever it is they do, they can work all week, work their fingers to the bone, and they get up on Sunday and they go to serve the Lord? Is it because, uh, well, it shouldn't be for any other reason than they love the Lord and they realize how awesome and great and powerful He is and how little I am, and if He wants to step in and use me in that way, boy, I'll work that bus route. I'll teach that uh, group. I'll help in the nursery. I'll usher. Uh, I'll uh, any way. I'll share my faith. Anything I can do, Lord, I'm not doing it for any other reason other than I want to uh, worship you. But the Levitical priesthood, and specifically
specifically the Aaronic priesthood who worked uh, as uh, priests, they would offer up five different sacrifices, uh, major sacrifices. There are some subsets of these, but five major sacrifices and sort of the rituals of them, the ceremony of it, the, the how-to, the, um, uh, let's see, there was a series of books out there for a while, A Dummy's Guide to. How many of you remember the A Dummy's Guide to? Okay, Leviticus is the dummy's guide to how to do an Old Testament offering. And chapter by chapter, they're laid out there. Five offerings, you have uh, sacrifices, you have the sin offering, the trespass offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, and the meat or meal offering. And so those five sacrifices were the Israelites were ordered to do on a regular basis. And so this was something that had been done ritualistically as part of their national worship for thousands of years, thousands of years. And now the day has come where Christ has been crucified on the Christ cross. Christ has been the satisfaction. He has been the end of all five of these sacrifices. He has, he has brought the days of animal offering or sacrifices to an end in his person. And now it's all been brought to a screeching halt. And the Hebrew Folks are having a hard time understanding that. And I just want to point out for a minute why, okay? And uh, we, we, uh, we hear that, and it, um, it, it, it goes in one ear and almost out the other. And I want you to stop and put yourself back in the day of being uh, someone who is alive. Maybe you were a child about 10 years before Christ was born. You were born. And then uh, at 40, 45 years old, Christ dies on the cross. Now you're in your... 50s and 60s, and you're under this realization that these sacrifices that were so important my whole life, all of a sudden, I'm not to do them anymore. And I want you to think how hard that would be. I want you to think how hard that would be for you uh, to come uh, to that uh, to that end and to change how you do that sacrifice. In fact, Paul would write in the book of Romans, he would tell us that we are to offer up ourselves as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So wait a minute here. I'm not to take an animal to the temple and have it laid on the brazen altar and tied down to the four horns. I'm now to, to, to bring about a figurative sacrifice in my worship of the Lord and my service to the Lord. That's to be my sacrifice. Boy, that was confusing. That was uh, difficult. Why? Well, in part because sacrifices cost. And if you're taking notes this evening, I'd encourage you to write that down sort of across the top there. Sacrifices cost. How much money, and, and so this is a great probing question. How much money would have an average family spent on sacrifices at the temple in a lifetime? It would have been thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. You're taking the best of your livestock, or you're taking the money you earned and you're buying the best of someone else's livestock, you're walking in the temple and you're watching the the net get slit, you're watching the blood run down the side, you're watching blood get sprinkled, and this is something that's been done from your birth all the way up. You've been a part of this ritual. You are thousands and thousands of dollars invested in this process. And now you're being told it's got to stop. 
There's a verse in Matthew in, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And uh, I'm going to maybe apply this a little bit different than you've ever heard it applied. Do you think that the Hebrews had their heart invested in animal sacrifice? Their treasure was invested. And now they're being told, that doesn't matter anymore. That needs to stop. They had invested their treasure. Not only had they invested their treasure, they had invested their time. How many hours of their life have been spent in going and finding the right animal or buying the right animal and bringing that into the temple and having that animal offered up so that they could have in their mind, in their mind anyway, their sins atoned. And uh, they had fallen in love with the process. Also, this had become ceremonial to them, ceremonial to them. Uh, I have um, a family member of mine, I'll be vague here for a reason, but I have a family member of mine who I believe is a saved person. Uh, This person was saved later in life and was saved as a Catholic. And uh, I really believe this person is saved. I've had many, 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 many lengthy conversations with this person. We have talked deep doctrine when it comes to salvation, but this person will not leave the Catholic Church. Will not do it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they're invested into the ceremony of the Catholic Church. They love it. They they find it calming. They find it comforting to walk in and go through all of the procedures. Now, if you ask them how they're getting to heaven, they would give you the same answer I would give. They know they know the gospel inside and out. They claim they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them, and their faith is not in their works. But they love the ceremony of the Catholic Church. These people that are being written to here in the book of Hebrews were in the same spot as my family member. They loved the ceremony, even if their faith wasn't totally in it. And so the author of Hebrews, specifically God, through the pen of the author of Hebrews, is trying to tell them, listen, let me give you some fresh perspective. These sacrifices that you have been so invested in, those need to change. Now, next week, uh, because of the, just the, the amount of content here and walking through this, in fact, let, let me get, kind of give you a preview of where we'll be next week. We'll see how the, the author here is, is leading them to a different type of sacrifice. Look down at verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath uh, uh, conse- uh, consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Look at the action of sacrifice is no longer an animal. It's our time. It's our treasure into serving God. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without uh, wavering. Verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love into good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now it's no longer an animal that gets sacrificed. It's our time and talent from us to the Lord that gets offered. You see how the author of Hebrews, God specifically, is, is shifting the paradigm off of an animal being sacrificed to you need to give yourself wholeheartedly to sacrificing yourself 
for the Lord. And so that's sort of uh, where we're going with that this evening. Let's jump into the outline and take it verse by verse. We're going to begin in verse 1 of Hebrews 10 and work our way through here. Notice number 1 tonight, the shadow of the sacrifices. The shadow of the sacrifices. Look at chapter 10, look at verse 1. Notice there it says, for the law having a... What's that next word? Again, together, you guys wake up this evening. For the law having a... Shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So the shadow of the sacrifices. Now, if uh, you showed me a picture of a steak dinner over and over and over and over and over again, what is better, the picture of the steak dinner or the actual steak dinner? Now, I go to a restaurant and I'll sit down and how many of you are like me? You open up the menu and you find the best looking picture and you order that off the menu. Anybody here like me this evening? You, wow, that steak, look at the butter that's on top of that steak. And you know, those sides look really good with that. I'll take, some of you haven't had dinner yet. Pastor, move on. Get off of that. I'll take that. And uh, if you're at a nice, fancy restaurant, oftentimes it matches. Where you get disappointed is when you go to McDonald's and you see that Big Mac up there. Has anybody ever gotten a Big Mac to match what's actually on the picture? It, it just no, right? Or you get the quarter pounder with cheese and the bun's like laying off to the side and there's ketchup all over the inside of the container. It's a shadow, but it, it isn't quite that. Now, through the years, they had been given these shadow sacrifices. Every single one of them were to say, hey, listen, that animal, the blood being shed by that lamb, it, it don't fall in love with that lamb. That lamb can do nothing more you than a picture can fill your stomach. That is a shadow of the Lamb of God, which will take away the sins of the world. But because that had been going on for thousands of years, they had fallen in love with the process and forgotten that all of that was pointing to a greater thing. The shadow of the sacrifices. Notice number two, the shortcoming of the sacrifices. Now, do this with me. Let's go back to the shadow for a minute. Turn over to chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, and look with me at verse number 5. We find that word shadow again uh, in regards to the old way of doing things. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, Whoso, or who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, this is God speaking to Moses, that thou make all things according to the pattern it showed to thee in the mount. Now, back when we were in chapter 8, we talked about how that the, tab- the tabernacle and eventually the temple, but specifically here, the tabernacle was to be built to copy the sanctuary that was in heaven. It was simply an earthly representation of what was in heaven. And all five of these sacrifices, I've made reference to it a few times, but I preached a series back in the fall of 2016, seeing our Savior in the sacrifices. And we went through Leviticus, and we looked at all five of those sacrifices, and we saw how that Christ was the completion of the sacrifices. By the way, a neat little note here, the meat offering, the meat offering you find back in Leviticus, in most uh, translations of the Bible into English, it's not called the meat offering, it's called the meal offering. And I'm going to tell you why, if you see it as the meat, and by the way, the word meat there, we think of a big hunk of steak or chicken or whatever, a big uh, slab of meat. That word meat there is not, it does not mean the way we think of the word meat. When I, when I was 
a young man reading through my Bible and I get to the meat offering and I would see it described as flour or meal, I'd say, well, why is it called a meat offering? And then as I was studying for this sermon a couple of years ago, I was brought to verses where uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, you may remember Eve looked up at the tree and she saw that it was good for meat. Good for meat. That word meat in the Bible means substance or sustenance. And you go forward into the New Testament. This is where it really gets neat here. And what did Jesus tell? He, he told the disciples when they came back and he was witnessing to the woman at the well. He said, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. You may remember in John chapter 6 where Jesus uh, said that you are to eat my flesh as though it is Meat. He is the completion of the meat offering. And if you have a, another translation of the Bible, you get, you miss that little gem, uh, there. But nonetheless, Jesus is the completion of all these. What were the five sacrifices in Leviticus? They were shadows of Jesus who is the sacrifice for our sins. Okay. The shortcoming of the sacrifices. So, On top of these simply being an arrow, and that's a great way to think about it, is the five sacrifices in the Old Testament and all the subset sacrifices, they were nothing more than a giant neon blinking arrow pointing to Calvary. Okay, but those take those five sacrifices and let's look at them individually or look at them as a whole even. And what you find is that when you want to compare the sacrificing in the Old Testament to Christ's great sacrifice on the cross, these over here, they fall way short. Let me give you three ways here that Hebrews 10 outlines that they fall short. Letter A, notice they could not perfect the comers. They could not perfect the comers. And I get the verbiage here out of verse number one. Look back at verse number one with me. It says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, which they offer year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. What's that mean? That means every year on the day of atonement, when they would bring that great sacrifice, the greatest of sacrifices made in the Old Testament, uh, under the Old Testament uh, law there, Moses' law, when they would bring that great sacrifice, it could not totally complete them or make them a whole. It, it could not bring them across the finish line for their salvation. It didn't matter how, uh, uh, it didn't matter the age of the lamb. It didn't matter how spotless and blemishless the lamb was. It didn't matter what breed or line that lamb came from. It didn't matter how innocent that lamb was. No matter what lamb they found, it fell short. It could not wash away their sin. It could not perfect them in the sight of their eternal God when it came to heaven. It just didn't get the job done. Letter B, notice, they could not purge the conscience. Look down at verse number 2. It says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscious of sins. No more conscious of sins. Um, what this is saying here is that if that, that animal, those animals sacrificed back in the Old Testament, if they had been sufficient enough on their own, there would have been no more guilt felt, eternal guilt felt, the following year when it was time to confess again. 
You know, I have to say here this evening that I was saved on April 8th, 1988, as a four-year-old boy. And I have not once turned around and looked back and said, oh boy, I feel as though I'm in danger of hellfire because of my sin. No, the sacrifice of Christ took away the guilt feeling that I was going to go to hell. Because my salvation is final and complete in the person of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. These animals did not do it for them. Every year they came to their day of atonement and they needed to offer up again because they looked back at the previous year's sacrifice and saw that one fell short. We need to do it again. It didn't purge the conscious. Letter C, notice, they uh, they could not please the Creator. They could not please the Creator. Look down at verse number 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible, look at verse 4, that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now, if God had accepted those bulls and goats or sheep or ox or turtle doves or whatever the animal was, if God had accepted that uh, animal as an atonement for their sin to let them into heaven, if that had pleased the Creator, then they would have stopped the sacrifices right there. They would say, there's no more need to keep doing this. No, but year after year after year, they had to keep doing it. In fact, we see that God isn't pleased. Turn over with me to Isaiah chapter number 1 and look at verse number 11. And here in the prophets, we see uh, that uh, Isaiah would, God would say through the person of Isaiah this very truth. That, hey, you all are offering up these sacrifices. They just fall short. Look at verse 11 of Isaiah 1. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offering of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks, nor of lamb or of he goats. Hey, those offerings that you're offering up, uh, look, they're, they're, they're not cutting mustard. They're not getting the job done. There's a story about a man who wanted to start a business, and so he wanted to take out a business loan. And he had decent credit, but did not have a lot of money in savings. He didn't have a lot of assets to his name. And so he walked into a bank seeking a business loan, and they said to him, you're going to need a co-signer. And so he went out and got a rich friend of his, and that man came in and signed on the dotted line. And the agreement was that a year from now, you're going going to pay back uh, this debt. Your business should have taken off in such a way where you'll be able to pay back the loan. And so uh, the 11th month comes and things have not quite worked according to plan. And so he goes back into the bank and he tells him, he sa- tells the, uh, the bank manager says, I need some more money in order to get this thing up off the ground and going. Can you increase my loan? And the man says, well, if your wealthy friend will come in and co sign with you again, we will increase the loan. And so it went year after year. As long as the friend was willing to come in and co-sign with him, he continued to deepen his debt, deepen his debt. His friend was wealthy enough where he could deepen his debt and that friend's name was good enough to get him by. So it is with uh, with the Hebrews, uh, the, the Israelites rather, here uh, in the Bible is that year after year after year, they came to the Day of Atonement and their past sins had not been forgiven. 
and uh, uh, from beyond, but 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 the, that animal was nothing more than a cosigner, not pointing backwards, but pointing forwards to the cross, to the cross of Jesus Christ, where they needed to put their faith in the coming Messiah who would die for them. The problem with many of the Israelites and many of the Hebrews is that their faith was not in what the sacrifice represented. It was in the sacrifice itself. Now, you say, well, pastor, can you make an application for today's day and time? And I will. All right, I can and I will. These sacrifices did not forgive sins any more than the baptismal waters wash away sins today. Those animal sacrifices did not take anyone to heaven any more than the Lord's Supper takes anyone to heaven today. Those were similar to our ordinances today. Uh, We don't believe that the taking in of the bread into the mouth and the drinking of the the vine juice or the baptism of a person uh, does anything to get anyone to heaven. No, they are simply symbolic of what Jesus did on the cross. They're arrows that point back to the cross, just like those five sacrifices were arrows that pointed to the cross. The faith could not be in the animals, and the faith cannot be in the elements or baptism today. Those things simply represent uh, what was done for us. So the shortcomings of the sacrifices. uh, Listen, Satan has been playing the same game for thousands and thousands of years. With the Israelites, he said, put your faith in the sacrifices. With people today, he says, put your faith in the sacraments. Put your faith in baptismal regeneration. I'm going to tell you right now, that water in that baptistry pool right there, it might make you sick, but it isn't going to take any sins away. All right? It ain't going to take any sins away. Uh, we do clean it regularly, all right? So I hope it doesn't make anybody sick. It is funny about that, that baptistry. We've had so many issues with that since I've been here. Uh, we have the heating element go up all the time on it. And I think we've baptized three or four people since I've been here in just ice cold water. We do tell them ahead of time. And we've had some people say, no, wait, other people say, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. And they come out and they're... <sighs> Lately, the thermostat's been broken. And so it gets really hot. And I came in here one Sunday and I burnt my hand when I put it in the water. And so we'll let out about four inches of water and we'll put in cold water. Uh, let's see, little Orsino that got baptized Sunday, when he came out of the water, his face said, I'm on fire right now. So... Um, uh, but anyway, aren't you glad the water doesn't have to be just right for what it represents? It represents that we have been saved. But the shortcomings of the sacrifices. Let's move on to uh, what the sacrifices point to. And this would be the ultimate sacrifice. Notice number three, the submission of Christ. The submission of Christ. Look with me at verse number five of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, wherefore, when he, this is speaking of Jesus, When he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the books it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou uh, wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish 
the second. Let me give you a letter A and we'll, we'll, before we move on to that. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 22. What is this here? Now, uh, when uh, God the Father in, in heaven and God the Son in heaven began to lay out their plan for how the wrath of God toward the sin of man would be appeased, they decided that they would draw up their plans in the womb of a woman named Mary. And that Jesus would go down and take on the form of an infant child, or rather an unborn child, in the womb of Mary. And that the, the, the sacrifice would be robed in flesh. It wouldn't be an animal. In the, in the Old Testament, it was an animal. But in the New Testament, it wouldn't be an animal. It would be a body. It would need to be a human body. And you may have heard the term incarnation. In Spanish, uh, the word there would be carne. And carne uh, means uh, meat. And so Jesus took on flesh. He took on meat. He put himself amongst us and he became one of us so that he could do the will of the Father and become that sacrifice. Look at Luke chapter 22 and look at verse number 41. We find here Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and um, uh, or the Mount of Olives rather and he's going to pray to his Father and, and, and here we find uh, verse 41 and he was withdrawn from them. This would be Peter, James and John. About a stone's and kneeled down and prayed. He's in agony as he prays this. Look at verse 42, saying, Father, if it be, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Back in Hebrews 10, we read that, uh, that Jesus did the will of the Father. Aren't you glad he did? Aren't you glad he submitted to what the Father wanted? Now, this is... Uh, I heard someone make this point the other day, and I thought it was an excellent point. I'm going to make it here. Some people will say, with the word submission on the screen there, some people will say that that word submit is just a dirty word. How many of you understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equal? Do you understand that they're equal, but the Son was submissive to the Father? As a woman in here today, if you're married, do you understand that you can submit to your husband and still be equal to your husband? Just as Jesus submitted to the Father, but was still equal with the Father. You all okay tonight? You with me? You understand? Jesus' will was not to die on the cross. But he said, not my will, not my will, but thine be done. Why was it that Jesus didn't want to die on the cross? Was it because he was afraid of the pain? Oh, no. Oh, no. Jesus was a tough man. Those people who draw Jesus as this wimp this long-haired wimp. Do you understand that the first 30 years of his life, he, um, he was a carpenter with no power tools. He had to carry the wood by himself. He had to chisel things out on his own. And if you read the account of how he died, do you understand how strong physically he would have been to be able to last as long as he did? Jesus wasn't afraid. I don't believe Jesus was afraid of the pain. Jesus was not afraid of the pain. What Jesus dreaded was becoming my sin and becoming your sin. Because for the first time in eternity past, and for the only time in all of uh, the gamut of eternity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be separated from His Heavenly Father. And that just tore Him up. That eternal fellowship was going to be broken. And He didn't want that. Our sin would divide him from his father. He hated that. But he said, not my will. I'm going to submit, Father. Not my will, but thine be done. The submission of Christ. Letter A, notice, it was foretold 
in the law. It was foretold in the law. Look back at verse number 7 of Hebrews chapter 10. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Uh, Turn over to Psalm chapter 40 and verse number 6. I love the book of Psalm for many reasons. uh, But one of the reasons why I love the book of Psalm is because God used David to write psalms that today we now call messianic psalms. Now, what is a messianic psalm? A messianic psalm is a psalm that had a double meaning. Yes, it applied to David, uh, or usually it applied to David, but it was it was more written about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And I think probably what happened was David got to heaven and said, Ah, that's what that meant. That's why you had me write that. Look at chapter 40 and look at verse number 6. And I love how the New Testament weaves the book of Psalm back in to show the prophecy there. Look at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ear hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. You see there how it was foretold. Let's read on down to verse number 11, because I believe that much of this would apply to our Savior. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Look, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the congregation. Uh, uh, Hold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Can you not see how that was written about the Lord Jesus Christ? He said there, it is, it is written in the law. Uh, I, I have a list that I have read through here in church uh, a few different times. And it's a list of how, the, how Jesus is found in every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible. And how he it shows up in different ways in every book of the Bible. You can break down the Old Testament into history. Um, uh, you can break it down into law, uh, law book, history books, uh, uh, poetry books, and uh, prophecy books. And Jesus Christ is foretold in every single segment of that. His life is foretold. All of the law has an arrow pointing to the person of Jesus who would be, who was the Christ and who would die for our sins. The submission of Christ, letter B, notice it was the fulfillment of the law. Not only was it foretold in the law, it was the fulfillment of the law. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Look with me at verse number 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Look at the rest of the verse there. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Now, if we didn't have the context of Hebrews chapter uh, number 9 uh, 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 to give us, we, if Hebrews 9 wasn't there to give us context, you could debate what that was about, what he meant by that. But clearly, we'll go back and look at Hebrews nine fifteen and 16 in a moment. Clearly here in chapter 10, he's referencing the first testament or the testament of Moses to the second testament, the testament of Christ. Look at chapter 9 and look at verse number 15. For this cause, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that are under the 
first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Look at verse 16. For where a testament is, there must all of necessity, also of necessity, be the death of the testator. I'm not going to go back and re-preach that passage, but I will just quickly mention this, that Jesus Christ came along to fulfill the testament of Moses. Why? Because the law screamed one thing, and that is everyone under the first law, you fall short. You fall short. You can't keep the law. You're guilty of breaking the law. And we're told in James that if you offend at one point, you've broken the whole law. We're told in James that the laws of God are like this chain. And whatever the weakest link is, once that's broken, boy, you've broken the chain. Somebody here tonight says, well, I've never killed anyone. Okay. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? I bet everyone in here at some point in their life has let some phrase slip out of their mouth that's taking God's name in vain. And you know what? The law of God, that chain is broken and you're guilty. Every one of us. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Anyone here want to raise your hand or stand up and say, I have never told a lie? I think we've all told a lie at some point, haven't we? Well, you've broken at one point, you've broken the whole law. And then what happens is we smugly, as humanity, walk around... Well, I'm better than you are. Well, I'm good enough to get in. God says, no, if you've broken at one point, you're done. You're done. And so what was needed? A, a Messiah was needed. Someone to come in and be that ultimate sacrifice. Hey, listen, you can only put off the bank manager on that business loan for so long until he comes to calling on that money. And listen, Satan comes a calling on that sin and Jesus steps up and says, the business loan was paid off the day I was nailed to the cross. Those who come to me, what did Jesus cry on the cross? He said, to telestai, to telestai. Interestingly enough, that word to telestai, it is finished. It is finished, to telestai. When you owed a debt... And you'd go in and make payments on that debt. They would keep a ledger. And they would uh, put the total owed at the top. And they would write down the debits made against that debt. And when you paid off the debt, they would take a stamp. And they would stamp at the top of that to telestai. It is paid in full. It is finished. You know what Jesus did? He took all of those that were under the Old Testament sacrificial system. He died on the cross and he said, year after year, that animal was killed on the day of atonement. Hey, I am the last sacrifice to be made. I am the atonement to Telestai paid in full. It is finished. No more sacrifices needed. No more sacrifices needed. Why? Because Christ was willing to set his will to the side and do what the Father wanted. Now, I'm going to save point four and point five for next week. You don't even have point five on there, but I have a point five in my notes. I'm going to save point four and point five for next week. I'm going to make one strong application and we'll, we'll finish up this evening. Here's the application. When your will is contrary to his will, Can you see how that when you're stubborn and do what you want, how that God's will cannot get done? It does not get done? You see, God is all-powerful. Psalm chapter 40 tells us that the Israelites, with their hardened hearts, listen to this, limited the Holy One of Israel. 
How can an all-powerful, almighty God be limited by our stubborn sin nature? What is it that God would have you do? How is it that God would have you make a sacrifice? You say, oh, well, pastor, I, I can't give that amount of money. I can't give that much time. I can't uh, offer myself up as a living sacrifice in that way. I'm just not in a season of life where I can. Can I tell you this, that God knows your schedule. He knows you better than anyone else does. And if the Spirit of God is pressing in your heart to do something, boy, you better not hesitate to do it. You let your stubborn will get in the way. And who is going to suffer because of that? What if Jesus had said, God, I just can't do it. I just won't do it. I know I was born here. I know you put me here for the purpose of going to the cross. I know I'm at that, 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 that juncture in my life right now, that crossroads in my life where it's time for me to do it, but, but I, 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 I won't. I just won't do it. I just won't do it. You know what? All of us would be on our way to hell. Now, because Jesus was willing to submit to the Father and sacrifice himself, we all, thousands of years later, are the beneficiaries of it. Who gets to be the beneficiary over your submissiveness to the Savior? You're really at a fork road each day of your life. Am I going to submit to what God wants, or am I going to be stubborn and do what I want? When we submit, others win. When we're stubborn, we lose, and others lose in ways we'll never even be able to comprehend. This evening, I would just challenge you and say... Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin. He looks at you and I and he says, I died for you. Now today I'm asking you to go and live for me. Be that Romans 12.1 living sacrifice. So that's how I'll challenge you this evening. Go forth tomorrow, this evening even, that living sacrifice. Oh, I can't get up and read my Bible. I'm sleep deprived. Get up and read your Bible. I, I don't have time to pray. Listen, you make time to pray. I don't, have, I don't have the courage to pass out a track. Find it in you to give someone a gospel track that will tell them how to get to heaven. Whatever excuses you've been making, hey, let's set them to the side and say, not my will, not my will, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm reminded of what uh, Samuel told Saul in 1 Samuel 15. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Submission versus stubbornness. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Hope the Bible study was a challenge to you this evening. We'll come back next week and we'll look at um, uh, the rest of, or rather down through verse 25, and talk about how that we can be that sacrifice for the Lord. Well, let's pray and we'll get out of here this evening. So glad you're all here and a good crowd this evening. Brother Lexton, would you close us in prayer, my friend?